0: Hey, we're in 1 John chapter 5, 18 through 21. It's our last lesson in 1 John. Last lesson until the rapture. It's going to take us a lifetime to get through with this around this thing again, so. Yeah, John, strong finish here. We know these truths. If you would, stand for reading of God's Word. We honor God by standing when we read His Word. So, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin. But he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, that we may know him who is true. We are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. This is the Word of God. Please be seated that we may know these truths. John is going to finish strong. He's going to give us three things of a, a must-knows, and he's going to tell us not to deal with idols in our lives. We're going to go through all of that. The theme for the final time, the theme of 1 John, that you may know that you have eternal life. Okay, say that with me. That you may know that you have eternal life. Good job. Good job. So how do we know? He's given us three tests for the last time, three tests to know that you're really saved that you're born again, that you're in the family of God. The doctrinal test, who is Jesus? Well, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, came to this earth to die for our sins. He is not just a spirit like the the Gnostic said he was. He came in a body, he lived, he died, that sort of thing. He was man-God, the God-man. Then there was a social test that we love the brethren. If we love Jesus, we love the brethren. There was a lifestyle test that we obey his commandments. An indication that you're truly born in the again and in the family of God. John over and over and over says, Hey, if you love Christ, you're going to obey what he taught. You're going to obey what he taught. Now, last week we talked about praying with confidence. And we learned that we pray with confidence in him. It's not some sort of technique we develop. It's not our smooth words that do anything. We pray in him. In him. Secondly, we pray with confidence according to his will, because Father knows. Best. There's all kinds of things that happen in life. And we pray that our God will make an intervention. But it's in His timing, it's His will. It's how He does things. It's not in our timing. Remember, we want anything right now. We're type A. Type A. A plus. A plus. What have done right now? Then we know that we pray with confidence, knowing that the biggest thing that happens when I pray and I meet with God is that God changes me. He changes my heart. He changes me to get in line with Him. That's very important. We went through a lot of that. And then, fi- and then we know that we pray with confidence and know that we can trust that God knows where we are. He is not distant. He is not far off. But we know that he is a huge God. He is a huge God. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways. My ways declares the Lord as high as the heavens are above the earth. Now, remember how high that is with the universe expanding. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts, and my ways are higher than your ways. So we trust a God that is a huge God that we can come to and know that he knows where we are. And then we went through this. We pray with confidence. We pray with confidence that Jesus is enough in any situation. Jesus is enough in any situation. And we talked about Isaiah chapter 43. And Isaiah says this. It's a great verse. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. These are the tumults of life. These are the struggles of life. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, see, it's ramping up, ramping up, ramping up. Isn't that what it is in life? It just ramps and ramps and ramps. we have our God that goes through the whole thing with us. When we go through the f- rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned because our God is with us, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. That is a promise to the nation. And if you promise to the nation, it is a promise. We can extrapolate from that a promise to us. Our God is with us through everything, even though we're not understanding what's going on behind the scenes. And then we learn to pray with confidence for the sinning brother and sister. We talked about this, that oftentimes we're going to be the one prayed for, and we're going to be the one doing the praying. You're going to be the prayer or the prayee. And that's just the way it is in life. Sometimes we're going to get off and somebody's going to pray for us. And remember, someone prayed for your salvation that you'd get saved. And then after you were saved, someone prayed for you that you get your act together and start living this thing out rightly. That you give yourself totally to God. Somebody prayed for you. And that's all of us. All of us from time to time are praying for someone or are being prayed for. Now this week, this week, John finishes his letter refuting the Gnostics. Remember, the Gnostics are the super mystical. Oh, they have all this great insight that their knowledge was, was greater than anyone else's. Only they had the truth. They, they, And again, they believe that Jesus was just a spirit emanation. He really didn't come in the flesh. And John over and over says he came in the flesh. We felt him. We heard him. We touched him. And he, he came. He lived as a human being. He died as a human being. And the Holy Spirit bears witness of who Jesus is, the God-man. Jesus is who he said he he is. He is the Son of God. In John 10.36, some people say, did Jesus ever say he was God? Well, in 10.36, he says this, I am the Son of God. I am like God. I am the same as God. I am God. I am God. Now, this week, John concludes his letter with some final must-know truths. The final we know truth. that Every believer, just focus in on these last few things in the book of 1 John. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Holy Spirit, teach us the things that you want us to know. You've brought us all here for an appointment with you, our God. May we hear from you today your words to our hearts. And whatever you are telling us, Lord, in this whole talk, we'll all get touched by something. May we not just be hearers, but doers of the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. So, just an introduction here. And I just want to remind you how good God is. God is so good. And he gives us the necessary information for us to make it through this thing called life on earth, which isn't so hot. Let's face it, sometimes there's good times, sometimes there's bland times, and folks, sometimes there is valley time. And we all get to experience that whole thing. I don't know where you are. Most of the time we're on the plane, but you might be down, you might be up. God is good. He tells us how to navigate through all of this so that we can know without a doubt while we're here what the truth is. He's given us three things in his word that are the truth. I've mentioned this several times. We know that Jesus is the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except by me. We know the Holy Spirit is a spirit of truth in John 14, 17. And he says in John 17, 17, his, the real Lord's Prayer. Thy word is truth. You can trust this word. You can take this word to, your, to the grave. This is a mountain to stand on and to defend. Thy word is truth. And we know that God and his word is truth. And it's very important to know these truths because we are living in a world of cloudy truth. Cloudy truth, slippery truth, slippery truth. How about false truth? How about my truth is my truth and your truth is your truth? That's postmodernism. We've talked about that many times. Everybody kind of makes up their own truth. Now, we know that truth is God and his word. Though his word is maligned, and believe me, it is being maligned more today probably than any time in history. There's all kinds of people that have access to things that that malign the word of God. Christians can know for certain the truth they can know for certain that they are in the family of God these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of God and that believing you may have life in his name you may know that you have eternal life he is Jesus is real he came here in the flesh we obey his commands we have love for the brethren and he concludes his letter he concludes his letter with know these things no 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 36 times in first John he says know this Know this. This is important. Know this. Know this. Today, God still desires that we know the truth. We will face many false things, folks, that are going to be coming at us. There's going to be false teachers, false ways, all kinds of deception, particularly as the end draws nearer, which I believe that we're in now. There's boatloads of deceptions. John Strong finishes this that we know these truths contained in this word. Verse 18, he starts with the number one truth we know. Jesus will guard you. He will protect you. He is your shield. He is your way maker. He won't just protect your physical being. He'll protect your mind. He'll protect your emotions. He'll protect everything about you if you yield to him. Verse 18, we know. We know that we know that whoever is born of God does not sin. Everybody in here sinless? No way. This is talking about habitual sin, given over to sin. But he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one, oh, watch this, does not touch him. That is a promise to us. Now, that word we know, just kind of file this away, because we're going to say it several times here. We know is the Greek word eido, E-I-D-O. And it means beyond a shadow of a doubt. Every fiber of my being realizes this. Every fiber of my being believes this. John starts with this. Whoever is born of God does not sin. It's a repetition of chapter 3, verse 9, where he says this. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. Again, habitual sin, non-repentant sin. For his sin remains in him, and he cannot, he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Now, remember this. When we sin as Christians, what happens to us? I don't know what happens to you, but as soon as I do something off, man, my conscience is bothering me. I mean, I just, I am just, I am just paralyzed by, oh man, I have done something against my God. I got to make this right. And thankfully, John starts out in 1 John chapter 9, just telling us the cure. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to know truth, to know the truth that we are born of God. It all starts being born of God, born again of God. It's it, When we experience the new birth, we know that every human born into this world is born dead in their trespasses and sins. That's Ephesians 2.1. Our spirits are born dead. Every human is separated from God and needs to be born again. The only way that happens is to believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. We went through this like 12,000 times. This is 1201. Jesus died for our sins. He took our sin debt. We need to believe that and receive the gift of salvation. It's the only way. And it's so simple. But yet people have it so complicated or make it so complicated. We're born with dead spirits. And we believe that Jesus saved us. Our our dead spirits are given life. And this is called being born again. That's the vernacular of Christianity. When you become a Christian, you get all this new language. Born again. Saved redeemed, delivered, you know, that, that whole thing. Those truly born again will not be given over to habitual sin. Again, the Bible terms us that you're saved. Those really saved does not sin. Now, that makes me a little uneasy, but let's develop this a little bit. What is habitual sin? you got to ask yourself that question because we're all in this boat together. We're all in that real successful with carrying out this thing perfectly. As a matter of fact, remember, it's direction, not perfection, direction. It's the direction of our life. We're never going to get it perfect here. Never going to get it perfect here. So what is habitual sin? It's not something that you're in the fight against. It's not some over, it's something, each one of us has an area of weakness. Each one of us has a, a, a peculiar thing that is drawing us. And we have to be in the fight against that. That's what he's talking about here. Habitual sin is this. It's given over to sin. It's an attitude that I'm going to keep doing this regardless. I don't care what you say, God. You're just going to have to put up with me doing this. That's habitual given over to sin. That's very different. Very different than this. Than a struggle. Very different than a, that I'm struggling with a besetting sin. Remember, if I'm struggling with a besetting sin, I know it. And I repent of it. I say, Father, I'm sorry. Now, you, this might be going over, over and over and over and over and over. Does that happen? To Don't raise your hand. That happens to me. but <laughs> I can say that happens to me, okay? I'll just be vulnerable. Over and over and over and over. But I know that I'm okay because I'm in the fight. I'm not giving up on it. I'm in it. I'm in it to the death. It's very different than a struggle with a besetting sin. All humans have a weak point, folks, that is exploited by the world, the, your flesh, And the devil. Remember, your flesh has not been redeemed. That doesn't happen until we're out of here. What has been redeemed is your spirit. Your spirit has been saved. Your spirit connects you with God, gives you the ability to connect with God. But your soul and your flesh are going to be in a fight against this enemy until we're taken out of here. Remember, your soul is your mind, it's your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions. That struggle is going to be there. All humans have a weak point. The thing here is stay in the battle. And never, ever, ever, ever give up, okay? Don't give up. That's the key. Know this truth. God has given you a treasure. He has given you his spirit, the Holy Spirit, the power to say no to your fleshly cravings and yes to your spirit man, your new man. Now, there's a couple scriptures that you might want to memorize. Galatians 5.16, walk in the Spirit. That means live in the Spirit. That means give yourself over to the Holy Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Romans 13.14, put up some boundaries. Put up some boundaries. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a vestment. That's like putting on your armor every day. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. What does that mean? That means I stay away from the things that are my hook. Whatever my hook is, I stay away from. So, stay away from from your fleshly lust. Remember that lust is epithumia, um, upon the mind. There's an attack on our minds, our diseased minds. There's an attack to take us always back, always back to where we came from. Your fleshly nature will always desire to return to the old you and the old ways. This is a principle. This is a fact. And, and it will always be in opposition to your new nature. So know this truth. You are not a slave of sin. Now, would you please turn with me to Romans chapter 6. You've been here. Maybe your Bible will just flop right open to it. It's Romans 6.6 6 and 6.12-14. 6, and while you're turning there, keep listening born again you, sanctified you. Remember when we're in a process, once we believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins, then we're in a process of being conformed to the likeness of Jesus. That's called sanctification, being set apart unto Christ more and more and more. That's the word for it, sanctification. Big word, but that's what it means. And how are we sanctified? We are transformed, Romans 12, 2, by the renewing of our mind. Our minds have to think differently, and the Holy Spirit is the power that allows us to do this. Now, this is why you can do this, Romans 6, 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. Our old man died on the cross with Jesus. When we believe that Jesus died for our sins, our old man is dead. Our old man is dead. We've been crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with. That means to cease completely, that we should no longer be slaved to sin. Should no longer. There's always going to be a tug on your life. Your old man is dead, but Mr. Flesh wants to rise up and have control. Verse 12 says this, now that we're saved, now that the Spirit of God dwells within us, now that he is our power source to say no, we are to carry this out. We have a responsibility in conjunction with the Holy Spirit, in conjunction with the Spirit of God, to carry this out. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. That's an imperative. That's a command. That's not a, oh, I think I'll do this. I think I'll I'll think about this. No, as a Christian, this is what we are supposed to do, that you should obey its lust. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness. In other words, you're not going to the places that draw you away from God. But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. That's the new me. And your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. You have the ability to say no to your flesh and yes to the spirit every time. No matter how hard that temptation comes on you. No matter how hard it's trying to pull you back, you can put your feet in the ground and you can get your defensive position. You can say, No, I will not do that through the power of the Spirit of God within me. It's not me that's doing it. It's God in me. It's the only way it can be done. With that stated, God will help us with this. And I want you to notice what he says back in 1 John. What he says here is this we know that whoever is born of God does not sin. Again, that's continual. Habitual, given over to sin. But he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. Now, this keeps himself, we have to develop this just a little bit. Keeps himself, actually is this, it's God keeping you from the evil one. No human can do this on their own. God will help you keep you from the evil one. The original reads, in the original Greek, or the original language reads this. The one born of God continues to keep him. Now, I've skipped something. It's the word tarot. Keeps is the word tarot. And actually, it means to guard like a warden guards in a prison. It means to guard. It's a strong word. And the original reads this. The one born of God continues to keep him. God continues to keep him. If you have an NIV Bible, that rendering in the NIV is closer to the true meaning. Than the New King James, Jesus keeps his eye on those who truly trust him, keeps them safe from Satan, and the result is this: He will guard you. God will guard you. Jesus will guard you. The result is this: Satan cannot touch you, cannot touch him. You're covered by God. That word "touch" is haptomai, haptomai. It means to fasten, to adhere to, to cling to. Its 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 word usage actually means. To grasp in order to harm. To grasp in order to harm. So, let's review. Who keeps us? See, if test question. You don't have to answer this out loud, but just in your own mind. Who keeps you safe? Jesus keeps you safe. So, if you answer that, that's one right for you. Who does he keep you safe from? He keeps you safe from the wicked one. That would be Satan. Remember in John 17, 15, I do not pray that you should keep them out of the world, but that you should keep them, tarot, keep them from the evil one. He's talking to his disciples. By extension, he's talking to us. Keep us from the evil one. He also says that in in the Lord's Prayer. And then what can't Satan do to us? He can't touch us. He can't cling on to us. He can't cause us any hassle. He can't fasten or adhere to us. But the warning is this. For the Christian in unrepentant sin then you're opening yourself up for the enemy to grasp on. He can't possess you, but he can cause you a lot of tumult. He can cling on to you then. 1 Corinthians 5.5, 5, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. See, The most important thing is that you're saved. And God will do whatever he can to facilitate that in your life. So, in this age of who knows what is going to happen next, you believe that we're living there? In your life, who knows what in the world is going to happen next? We must know and trust that Jesus will guard you. He will guard your heart. He'll guard your mind. He'll guard your emotions if you stay under him. Remember, he is our shepherd. Turn to your shepherd. Stay close to your shepherd. If you stay close to the shepherd, you are a sheep. We are sheep. He will guard us. But if we wander off, then there's a free-for-all. He'll come back and get us. He'll, He'll draw you back. But there's going to be some misery in the process. Verse 19, number two truth that we know. Again, Edo, beyond a shadow of a doubt, we know this. We are of God. We belong to God. No one can change that. Verse 19, we know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. The whole world system that we live in is controlled by Satan. We need to know this. There's a real evil entity in this world, and it is controlled by Satan. We belong to God. We are of God. Guess what happened? When you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, the spirit of God came within you and you were sealed by the Holy Spirit. Sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. An official mark of identification for security, ownership that you're authentic and that you will receive an inheritance. We belong to God. The world we live in is not of God. Is not of God. The world system and all the people that are not saved in the world, there's billions, billions are not in the kingdom of God. Billions of people that are not saved. Remember what in first John chapter two, verse sixteen, talking about our nemesis, the world, the flesh, and the devil? He says this, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but is of the world. The world and its desires pass away, but oh those who do the will of God Will live forever and what is the will of God to know his son Jesus Christ the only way to live forever this world system including the following and you could probably add to this list yourself but the media government education entertainment all world religions all world religions are by and large Satan's domain when you are saved you are taken out of that kingdom and placed into the kingdom of God. And remember this in Colossians 1.13. He's delivered us from the power of darkness. That delivered was Rumai. Remember that? We talked about it before. That is a forceful extraction. Satan doesn't want to let you go, but he has no choice. When you say yes to Jesus Christ, Jesus rips you out of Satan's hands, places you in the kingdom of God, seals you with the spirit, and you are secure in him. That is what happens to you. A violent extraction. And these two kingdoms are in opposition. These two worldviews that we have as a Christian worldview, and it's getting harder and harder to be a Christian here. And I suggest to you, look what's happening in the world. Look what's happening in India. India is a Hindu nation. Generally speaking, Hindus are open to whoever God you want to have. They have literally thousands and thousands of God. Christianity could just be added to another one. Not anymore. Their new prime minister wants all Christians out. They want to have nothing to do with Christians, and Christian oppression in India is at an all-time high. These two worldviews are in a collision course, folks, in a collision course. These kingdoms will not coexist. They will collide. More on coexist in a few minutes. We need to know that this world system is at war with Jesus and anyone with a biblical worldview. And hopefully you're seeing this. You recognize this. You haven't been, been numb to it. America has enjoyed 250 years of religious freedom and blessings from God. And America, in my generation, has turned its back on God. Has turned its back on God. And how sad. And the moral decline has been astounding. Listen to a few facts about this. When we had the systematic removal of God from our culture, In 1962, we took prayer out of the classrooms. In roughly the 1980s or so, the Ten Commandments came out. I just didn't get the exact date for that, but the Ten Commandments were taken out of government. Now, watch what happened since 1962. In 1963, for 15 years before 1963, pregnancies in girls' ages 15 to 19 years had been no more than 15 per thousand. In 1963, they increased 187%. In the next fifteen years, 180 hundred eighty-seven percent increase. Girls, ten to fourteen year old, up five hundred and fifty-three percent. Sexually transmitted diseases off the chart. The family, the family. Divorce rates had been declining for fifteen years, but after nineteen sixty-two, they increased three hundred percent each year for the next fifteen years. Unmarried people living together up three hundred fifty-three percent. So you take God out. And it's a free-for-all. Do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. Notice the cost to the culture. The institution of marriage is in jeopardy. And remember, Satan's goal is this. It is to destroy the family unit as God has ordained it. It started with Adam and Eve. What What did Adam do when they sinned? Immediately, the family unit was attacked. The woman you gave me. Oh, Eve, it's her fault. What did Eve do? Oh, it's Satan's fault. Yeah, the family unit has been attacked. You know what happened after that? In Genesis 4:8, Cain killed his brother Abel. Family destruction. And then Lamech, in Genesis 4:19, he takes two wives. He's going to change the whole paradigm of one man, one woman for life. He's going to change the whole thing. And then finally, by the time Noah comes around, you've got the daughters of men intermarrying with the, with the sons of God. These are angels. In Genesis 6, 8, they took wives for themselves. And what do we have today that is attacking the family? We have the rampant thing of homosexual marriage, which is really not marriage. And people talk to us about being intolerant, hating, and that sort of thing. We don't in hate, but we can't embrace something that is against the word of God. We do not believe it in, in hate for, for homosexuals or transgenders or anything like that. We are to love them and to tell them the truth about what their eternity is and what God's word says. We have a responsibility to do that. But, but, if we don't, but if we don't agree with it, what has happened today? If we don't assimilate, you're a hate speech. You're intolerant. You're a bigot. Simply because, no, 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 I, I don't hate you. I have to stand on the word of God. I have to give you the truth on this. I must. I must do that. Education has declined. For 18 years after 1963, the SAT scores plummeted. In 1974 to 75, something happened in our country. Christian schools started. When Christian schools started, the mean of the SATs came up to its old level. The Christians had brought it up to that level. And when you compare the SAT scores of, of, the, of, of the private schools, the Christian schools, with the public school systems, there's a 100-point difference. Today, a 100-point difference. In, in our nation, the top academic scholars are three times as many come from private religious schools, which operate on one-third the funds as do the public schools. Our crime rate is off the charts. Folks, it goes on and on. But think about this one. Since 1963 or 62, how many wars have America won? Look at it. Zero. Zero. We've kicked God out. Since 1963, now we get out of wars, we lose wars, we, 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 we abandon the people that we say that we're going to support. Do not be surprised, for God shall not be mocked. You cannot with impunity kill 60 million babies and think you're going to be blessed. You can't with impunity stick your finger in the eye of God and say, we're going to have marriage any way that we want it. Man, man, woman, woman. That is an affront to a holy God. It's an affront to God to have transgender bathrooms. This is becoming more of a problem. It's becoming more of a problem. The greatest problem in our country is, as Anne Graham Lott said this, the United States has entered the last stage of the downward spiral into the bottomless chasm that is God's judgment. Our solution is not political, folks. It is spiritual. Our solution is not political, it is spiritual. And now I want to suggest to you what we're dealing with. That is, It it might be flying under your radar. Maybe you won't because I've said it several times. But this open border concept and letting this mass migration come in is a setup for taking borders down and a one-world government being established. And that is a setup, of course, for the Antichrist coming and ruling. That is what is happening around us. The reason that borders are important was this. God established borders. God established boundaries with nations. In the Tower of Babel, he, he wanted them to have nations because humans are so corrupt you have to have protection of nations, not allowing another nation to be the sole ruler. Napoleon declared himself an emperor. The Roman emperors declared themselves to be gods. Lord Acton, who lived in 1834-1902, to 1902, a historian and a moralist, said this, power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. You cannot trust a human with absolute power. Thus, the dispersion of the nations. Folks, we are of God. And the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And it's getting worse. Keep your eyes open to what is going on around us, please. Verse 20. Number three truth. We know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, who is true. We know that God is true. And we know that the Son of God has come. Thank you, Lord, for sending him and has given us an understanding. Oh, see, we have an understanding. We know that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true and in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God in eternal life. Unequivocally, Jesus Christ is our life saver. The son of God has come, our lifesaver, our blessed hope, our only hope. And it's talking about the incarnation. Now, how many times have you heard people say this? In, in, in your lifetime, the virgin birth, that's impossible. And what do we say? Yes, that's impossible. What do we call that? We call it a miracle. That's what it's called. It's called a miracle. Yes, that we may know him who is true, that is God, the true God. The only way to know God, again, is through his son. God sent his son into the world to die for our sins. He died on the cross. He substituted for us. Whoever believes and receives the gifts of salvation can be saved. He loves you. He wants you to be in his family. He is calling you. He is pulling you. He is dragging you. Come to me. Come to me. It's an amazing love. And the only way to be rightly related with, with God is through his son, Jesus Christ. But Christianity has a label placed on it, particularly in the West, of exclusivity. Oh, you guys are exclusive. You're so arrogant to think that's the only way to God. Well, I'm not saying it. God's word says it. I have to trust his word. I have to trust his word. Think about this. Islam, which has 1.8 billion people, is exclusive. How many churches are in Saudi Arabia? What is happening to churches in some of the more moderate Islamic countries? They're being attacked. How about Hinduism? We talked about that. One billion people. And then we have people in communist country a country where vast numbers are atheists. That's 1.2 billion people. 1.2 billion people. The Western culture, what we live in today, the tolerant folks, okay, cry is this, coexist, that all religions are the same, and again, that's wrong, because Jesus claims exclusivity. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus' arms are all-embracing. It's not exclusive that, that you can't come. His arms are wide open, embracing everyone who will come, everyone who will come. And remember this, when you're thinking about different views and different world religions, they can't be the same. There can't be just multiple paths to God because contradictory views are mutually exclusive. You can't believe in salvation by grace through faith as we in Christians do. And believe as Muslims do that Jesus is a prophet, not the Son of God, that he did not die on the cross for our sins. These are contradictory views. And that you have to believe in the Quran and follow Allah. And that's, these are contradictory views. They cannot both be true. They might, might both be not true. It's up for you to discern the truth. But we believe the Word of God is true. It's proven itself over and over and over. Coexists. You're going to get a picture up on the screen. You see this all over the place. And this is very popular. This is very popular. And, and in, a, in a way, if, you, if, you're, if you're not a Christian, this, this makes sense. Why can't we all just get together, get along together, coexist? But I want to show you something. The next slide. The next slide is this. Man-made religions and beliefs combined with God's word. Don't mix. They try to mix these practices together. There is a word for this. Put it down in your vocabulary. It is called syncretism. Trying to blend world religious systems into one system. Syncretism, blending of the doctrines and practices. You can read it there. Deuteronomy chapter 12 warn the nation of Israel. Verse 29 says this, When the Lord God cuts off from before you the nations which you go to dispossess, and you dispossess them and dwell in their land, Take heed to yourself that you are not ensnared to follow them, that you do not follow their religious beliefs. Why? Because they will take you away from the true God. That is what happened to the nation of Israel. After they are destroyed before you, that you do not inquire of their God, saying, how did these nations serve their gods? You don't get curious. Let's get, I, I'm just wondering what Hinduism is all about. I'm just curious about that. No, he's warning against that. I, I also will do likewise. You shall, not worship, you shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every abomination to the Lord which he hates they have done to their gods. For they burn even their sons and daughters in their fire to their God. Now people will say, how dare God dispossess those people from the land? But they have committed iniquities for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, 400 years he was patient with the ites. Before he dispossessed them from the land, they're killing and burning their own children. And then God says, No more. They can't, the people of God cannot coexist with them. But what does God say to us? This is the bumper sticker you want repent. Every world religion, every system, every system, repent and believe the gospel. What is the gospel? The death, burial, and resurrection. Of Jesus. It's so simple. It is so simple. And God desires that all men be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Every world religion come into the family of God. But there's one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. That is it. That is it. He is the one way. So coexist. It's not possible to coexist in a world where they hate you where the Muslims will kill you. Hindus are trying to kill Christians now. All over the world this is happening. Communist China, an atheistic country, they're trying to kill us. They're trying to kill us. It's so important that we are in him who is true and in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal God. Know the true God. Oh, that is so important. Know the true God. God's cry to the world. Know the true God. There's falseness all over the place, deception all over. Know the true God. And then finally, verse 21, the number four truth we know, to keep yourself from idols. To keep yourself from idols. Little children, notice the passion here. Notice the the love for the people that John has. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Oh, Amen. So be it. Keep your... And he doesn't give a big long flowery ending. He just makes a statement and cuts it off. Remember the third commandment: You shall not make for yourself an idol. And usually we think of some image, don't we? Some carved, graven image. Seems easy enough to us today, but is it? First of all, what is an idol? An idol is anything that you place above God. An idol is anything that keeps you from your God. Keep yourselves from idols. That word keep is a strong word. It means a, to garrison yourself, to defend heavily from the idols. Physical idols and non-physical idols. Non-physical ones would be false beliefs. False beliefs. Non-physical idols would be mindsets that are counter to God. Physical idols, cars, girlfriends, boats, trains, whatever you stuff you like, your sports. Could be anything, your children, your work, your hobbies. America is filled with idols, folks. But what is our greatest idol? What is our greatest idol? Do a little introspection here. What is our greatest idol? The greatest idol is the self idol. It's the me, myself, and I idol. Isn't it pitiful? Look how pitiful we are. That I'm more important than anyone or anything. This is a guy, his name is Lord David Cecil he sums it up right here. We erect the idol of self and not only wish others to worship, to worship me, but worship. we worship ourselves. Lord David Cecil, that was a good comment. Get out of my way. Here I come, world. Now, you know where I experience this? You know where I experience this. Every time I get on the freeway, here I come. Get out of my way. The idol of self. The idol of self. Pamper me, powder me idol, the idol of self. The modern church, you know what the modern church has done? It's pandered to the idol of me. You know how it's done that? Give the people what they want, not what God says they need. Look, we need him. Preaching should be directed towards people knowing they need. That we are sinners, dying, going to a hell, separated from God from ever. We have broken God's law. We, have, we, we deserve separation from God, and the only rescue we have is Jesus Christ. That is it. We need him. And then once we, once we believe in him, we need to serve him, to honor him, and to be in his word and to trust his word. Idol of self. Now, wh- watch what happens here. When people are looking for churches, tell me if this didn't happen to you at some point on your journey. One of the big thing is worship. I want the lights, camera, action, roll them, okay? Lights, is it really loud? Is it is it, is it really modern? Is it Hillsong? Is it Hillsong? I, I want a little of that, okay? Because worship is all about my way. I want to do what makes me feel good. Remember, worship is us to God, us to God, not me to me. It's not about me feeling good. It's about me worshiping my God and bowing before him in worship. And giving honor and praise and glory to the God that made me. That's what worship is. It's not about about me feeling great. It's good to you will feel great and wonderful if you worship him (laughs) for who he is. And then how about this one? Give me sermons that aren't long. Because my attention span as American now is way down. I got a microwave attention span. Fifteen minutes, that's it. Fifteen minutes is all I can take. He's getting too long, Harriet. I can't go there. How about non-conviction? Don't give me anything that convicts me. Oh, don't do that. Please, make me laugh. I want to laugh a lot. I want to feel good because your sermon is all about me. I want to walk right out of here just feel just hilariously great and wonderful. And then, by the way, give me programs, plenty of programs. Pick a program. Any program. Pick a program. Here, you can pick a program. We got it for you. So I can be fulfilled. How sad. When the idol of you comes crashing down and there's nothing left and it's empty. The idol of you. What's our what's our protection? How do I guide myself from the idol of me, the self-idol? Well, Philippians 2.3 helps us. Do nothing, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But with humility, consider others better than yourselves. Don't escalate yourself. I'm the most important person. Look, this is going to happen to me Thursday when I go to visit my mom. I'm the most important person on the freeway. No, I'm not. God tells me I'm not, and my wife tells me I'm not. I am not the most important person on that freeway. Am I lying? Am I lying? No, I'm not the most important person on the freeway. How do I guard myself? Refocus. Refocus life is required. Change your focus from me, myself, and I to him. And the Holy Spirit will help you with this. And remember, this is a volitional act. See, I have to do this. I I have the power of God within me to do this, but I have to carry this out through his strength. As you know, I can't do it on my own, and neither can you. Whatever your thing is, you can't do it on your own. The the sad thing is this. It usually takes pain to break the me-focus addiction. Isn't that awful? Look at your life. It was some sort of pain to break the me-focus addiction. Change your focus, a refocus life. I want to focus on the master. Where will you not find the idol of self? If you would, turn to Luke chapter 9, 23, 23 through 26. You will not find the idol of self in one who dies to themselves, in one who truly follows the master. Watch this. Then he said to them all, that he is Jesus. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Remember, the cross is a picture of death. You have to die daily to yourself, sometimes moment by moment. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world? In himself was destroyed or lost. But for whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. Taking up your cross daily is an invitation to die to your will and your way. That's exactly what it is. Watch what Watchman Nee says. In, the, in his book, by the way, The Normal Christian Life. The Normal Christian Life. This is, you know, if you're really living this thing out. Take up your cross daily. The cross is a symbol of death. I must put to death the desires of my soul. See, when you were born again, your spirit was made alive, but your soul is still in a struggle for control of your body. And that must come under submission to your spirit. That happens when we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. It's not automatic. That takes work. That's a sanctification process. So my thoughts, will, as emotions that drive my flesh. I must die to the self-life and follow Jesus in the spirit-controlled life. This is how you keep yourself from idols. In conclusion, very quickly, Jesus will guard you from the evil one. And I'm telling you, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Particularly as the time grows darker. And it's growing darker. Our culture is not getting lighter, it's getting darker. It's moving away from God, and there are a few, a remnant, that are coming to God. Just a few. And that's what God, how God said it would be. That's how Jesus said it would be. And remember this. No matter what happens, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Amen. Always remember that, 1 John 4, 4. Secondly, no, we are of God. We belong to God. And all the trinkets of this world do not have a hook on me if I really belong to God. I belong to him. Number three, we can know who is true, and that is God. We can know with every fiber of our being, we know every fiber of our being. And in this culture of half-truths, cloudy truths, and flat-out lies and deception, we can know what the truth is. We can know what the truth is. And number four, we, we know to keep ourselves from idols, and that's anything that takes us away from God. And some of those things are good things, that we think are good things. Work, family, children, whatever, sports, hobbies, golf. Let me say that really suck. golf. <laughs> Remember, refocus, all eyes on Jesus. Stephen Cole, who I've quoted many times, has an interesting conclusion to this. Please hear. In a Newsweek article many years ago, Told about how treasure hunters looking to make a huge profit were stealing rare idols from the Hopi reservation. The worst theft happened in 1978 when looters took four ancient stick figures represented the most sacred deities of the Hopi religion. Without the idols, there could be no rituals. The article stated, and without the rituals, the tribal spirit life was in danger of extinction. Somebody stole. Four stick figures, and now this whole Indian nation can't function because their gods have been stolen. That's a pretty pitiful little god, isn't it? That is not our god. Our god is a big god. Nobody can steal anything from him. A tribal leader explained, explained that these ceremonies bring blessings and rainfall and bountiful crops and good health and long life. That is being lost to us. And then Stephen Cole's comment is this. What a sad description of idolatry. You make up your own gods and then use them to get what you want. Now, do you see this on TV anymore? You look at Christian TV and and we make up God to get whatever we want. Oh, it happens all the time. The problem is these gods may be stolen or your way of life is destroyed. If, If it can be taken from you, it isn't the true God. If it can't be taken from you, it isn't the true God. Ask the folks that were believers in Auschwitz. Ask the... Christians that survived the Hanoi Hilton. You cannot take the true God from people. You can't take him. He's not a stick figure. That'd be removed. Ask the people that are going through trauma and torture right now. We have to rely on their God. You can't take God from those people. You can't. Make sure that even if you claim to follow him as a born-again Christian, you don't fall into idolatry of using him to get what you want or accepting the parts of him that you like and rejecting the parts you don't like. That is no different than pagan idolatry. Guard yourself from idols. In a world of deception, and we are living in it now, a world of deception, may we live out our lives so we can know these truths. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. Father, I thank you that you are our God and nothing can separate us from you. No one can steal you away from us. You are King of kings and Lord of lords, Lord Jesus. Father, I pray right now that if anybody here does not know you as their Savior, that you'll speak to their hearts and help them to know that God loves them, wants to have a relationship with them, and sent his son to die in their place. That whoever believes in him will have eternal life and live with him forever. Father, I pray that you'll do that now in the hearts of somebody here. And Lord, for we who are Christians, may we look seriously at our lives and know these truths, that I will be so connected to my God that the enemy cannot, he cannot cling on to me, that I will trust my God, I will trust in the Lord until I die, that I will deal with the idols in my life definitively, I will place nothing before you, God. I bow before you and I give everything to you. Oh, I pray that for you today. Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. It is the word of God, the inerrant, infallible word of God that we can build our lives on. We can stand on these truths. Thank you, Father, for sending your son, but also thank you for speaking to John and the message he gave to us in the gospel. First, second, and third John and soon the book of Revelation. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.